There's something about occasions like that, whether it be watching your favorite Christmas movie or going to a Christmas concert that gives you a kind of a Christmas feeling. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's that feeling, I think, maybe you could encapsulate it this way, that um, you hope that the people that you love and that you care for can be brought into the circle of warmth and security and safety, that everything that will be all right in the world. It's something like that that goes through me when it comes to Christmas. And I wonder if that feeling, that desire of, of having everybody close to you, everything taken care of, I wonder if it comes a little bit from an image like the one I'm going to show you. Take a look at this. Many of you have a, a, a nativity set like this in your house. This is the one that's in our house. And I wonder if that desire for that special Christmas feeling that people are going to be safe and taken care of is something like what we see in this image. Now, if you take a look at this, this gives us a picture, if you look at it in one way, of an ideal Christmas, almost an ideal life. So there, there in this picture, you see this lovely little family, a mom and a dad and a child, and they're together in this cozy, safe circle. And then over there on the left, you see the angel. And the angel sort of represents God's protection and guidance for them. Over on the right, you see the magi, the kings, and they're bringing their gifts. It's a sign of the world unfurling all of its treasures. And that's what we want in life too. We want to be encircled in this, this fold of love and we want the gifts of the world to be set before us. And so in a way, this is sort of a picture of an ideal Christmas. It's a picture of an ideal life. But now I want you to look at the picture a little closer. I want you to think about it a little bit more deeply. I want you to look first at Mary, the woman right at the center of this picture. That woman is a woman who has just experienced an unplanned pregnancy. She is a woman now that is having to bear all the difficulties of what an unplanned pregnancy means. And she's also carrying at that moment, and she's going to carry for the rest of her life, the stigma, the social and sexual stigma of everything that she went through because of this unplanned pregnancy. She's having to have people whisper around and ask about what happened, what really happened. And this plagued her throughout the rest of her life. Here's how I know that. Later on in the Gospels, some people come to Jesus and they say, who are you anyway? Wait, we know who you are. We grew up with you. You're not so great. We grew up with you. We know who you are. You're the son of Mary. And in a Hebrew setting, nobody would ever call another man a son of their mother. It was always son of their father. For them to come to him and say, you're the son of Mary, was a way of saying, we don't know who your dad is. And we know you don't know either. That's Mary. Now look at Joseph. That is a man who has been, has entered into a life that he never expected that he would enter into. Everybody has a certain idea or vision of what they want their marriage to be, their family to be, and oftentimes it's not what you imagined, and it's certainly not what he imagined. Furthermore, at the moment that he enters into Bethlehem, he is a man who is not able to provide for his family as he would wish. Because you know that quaint little phrase that we hear, there was no room at the end. That's something cute for us to hear now. That is not cute when you hear it, when you have a pregnant woman with you, when you're not able to provide for your family. 
Because money doesn't solve all of life's problems, but it does solve some of them. And right now, they're at a position where they are not able to secure a home for themselves. They are temporarily homeless. And judging from what we know about what Scripture says about his upbringing, about uh, Bethlehem at this time, about Judea at this time, he probably was living very close to the edge the rest of his life financially. So that is Mary and Joseph. Now look to the right. Look at those magi. They are bringing gifts. They're bringing gifts of great worth. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But do you know what myrrh is? Myrrh is a resin which is extracted from a little thorny plant. And it's a resin that was used for perfume and for medicine. But the main thing that it was used for at this time was as an embalming agent. It was used to prepare, prepare corpses for burial. That is one of the gifts that somebody brought to Jesus. So it's a little bit like bringing a gift certificate for the funeral home to a baby shower. And now look at the very center of the picture. You see Jesus. This is a child who is under threat of death, who is under suspicion, who is a wanted person already by the authorities because of his race, because of the stories that are being told about him. Already he's being preyed upon by the government. And at the very end of the Christmas story, I'm not talking about all the way to the cross. I'm talking about at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, at the end of what we would call the Christmas story, dozens of children will lose their lives because the government's trying to target him. So they're going to take out anybody that's his age. So you can look at this picture and you can say, that's a picture of an ideal Christmas. That's an ideal life. We can look at the Christian faith and say the point of the Christian faith is to have our people in a circle, everybody that we love taken care of. We can say that's the point of life, to make sure that everybody that we know, everybody we care about is safe and secure. And that's a very understandable thing. But if you think that the point of the Christian faith is to have everybody in your circle safe and secure, I hope if you'll allow me to say this to you, that's a childish way to think. And when you're a child, you think like a child. But when you grow up, you put away childish things and you begin to think the one that we follow, he is wonderful counselor and he is the mighty God and he is the everlasting father and he is the prince of peace. He is all of those things. But the one that we follow is also a suffering servant. The one that we follow is one that does not give us an ideal life. He gives us a picture of real life. And he walks with us through that real life. We are embarking on a sermon series. We're right in the middle of it, really, where we're asking that question, who do we follow? And we're looking at different names that Jesus has given in Scripture. We've looked at Messiah. We've looked at Savior. We'll look at Son of God and Good Shepherd. But today we're looking at a name, Suffering Servant, which is different from all the rest because all of the names that we've examined so far come from the New Testament, people who knew Jesus and said, this is what he's like. And now we're going to look at the prophet Isaiah, who looked ahead hundreds of years, inspired by God. And he began, Isaiah did, to write songs about this coming suffering servant. Songs about what he would be like. And these songs have been given to us so that we would know what he's like. So that we can follow after him, know his heart, know what he's like, and know that we can follow in his path. So I'm going to read to you the first song that Isaiah wrote about the suffering servant. He actually wrote four, you know. But we're just going to look at the first. 
I might try to sneak the fourth one in towards the end. I'll see how I feel. I don't know. Let's look at the first one, though. This very first song comes from Isaiah 42. It's going to come up on the screen here. This is a description of the servant that God is going to send. Behold my servant whom I am uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. From this passage, I want to show us three things about the suffering servant. The first thing is that the suffering servant who comes to us is just. The second thing is that the suffering servant is gentle. And the third thing is that the suffering servant is bruised. The suffering servant is just, gentle, and he's bruised. Here's the first thing, and it's the most obvious. It's the easiest to see. The suffering servant is just. Because when you scan through this passage, you're going to see over and over and over, Isaiah wants you to know that the suffering servant came to bring justice. He is a just God. Take a look at it. Verse 1, behold my servant whom I am uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him, he will bring forth justice to the nations. Now verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Verse 4, if you didn't miss, if you missed it the first two times, he's coming at you again. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. The suffering servant came to bring justice, and here is where the English word justice, it doesn't quite do justice to, I didn't, I did it last time, I decided to do it again, and it got about the same sort of reception today, right now, than it did in the first service. Uh, But that biblical word justice, it just doesn't fit uh, the English word. Because when we think of justice, we think of, I didn't do anything wrong. When you think about what is justice, you think about it in legal terms and you say, well, I didn't break the law. Or you might think about it in terms of the people around you and you think, well, I didn't treat them unfairly, so I guess justice was preserved. But that's not the biblical view of justice. The biblical view of justice is not just saying, don't do these things. Here are the things you don't do. The biblical view of justice is don't do these things, but then also there are things that you should do. There are things that God wants you to do. Another way to put it is the biblical view of justice is not just prohibitive, it's also prescriptive. So prohibitive is don't do it. Mm -mm. And prescriptive is you should do these things. They're good for you. This is what justice entails. So I want to show this to you. This also comes from the prophet Isaiah. And this is really delicious. This is sweet because here God is going to talk about how he is going to bring justice to his people. Before I show it to you, think of this. If I was to ask you, do you want God to bring justice to you? Watch this. Look at Isaiah 30. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Most of the time we think of justice, we see a judge and she's up on her 
her, her, big, her big bench and she's got the robes on and she's looking at the defendant. And the defendant has taken something that's not his. But she knows something about the story. She knows the backstory. She knows he comes from a difficult background, a broken home. He's had a lot of things go wrong. And so she's weighing in her mind. Should she bring justice or mercy? And within a biblical way, within the way that the suffering servant brings, those two things are not divorced from each other. They're not far away in different zip codes. They are married together, justice and mercy. And it says here that God brings justice to his people. And what that means is that God waits to be gracious to you. He's just looking for opportunities to be gracious to you. Just loves it. He loves to find ways to be gracious to you around every turn. You know how you think about different gifts that you want to get for the people that you love? You're thinking the things that they would like the best. That's what that means. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to be merciful to you. And that's what the suffering servant came to do for each one of you. And I don't want to pass this point by without making sure as best as I can. Only God can do this, but I'm going to ask him to do it now to let it rest on you that God has come to be gracious to you in the suffering servant. To, to, to bring about graciousness in your life, to bring about mercy into your life, to bring it about so that you realize and know down deep that God's love is for you in a special way, in a comprehensive way. Sometimes I hear people say, maybe you've heard this too, well, I, Jesus is okay, but I don't like the Old Testament. Too much justice, too much judgment. God's always judging people. The Old Testament, I'm, it seems very harsh. The only people that could say that are people that have never read the Old Testament. The only people that could say that would be people who would think that this biblical view of justice is something where God's going to hammer you down. You, you, you messed up? I'm the judge, and I am going to bring justice. But my job is to tell you what the Bible says. And the Bible says here that the Lord waits to be gracious to you. That the, 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 that the Lord exalts himself to be merciful to you. And so that is what God has done for you, and it's what God wants to do for you, and that is his mission for you. And it says in that passage from Isaiah, and it says it in lots of other places, that God wants to bring justice all over the world, just like the oceans cover the earth. And if that's true, that brings us to our next way of thinking that our suffering servant is just, is that he not only wants to bring justice for you, wash over you like a cool fountain, like, like a warm embrace, he not only wants that, he wants it to grow up inside of you, a justice that you're able to share with other people. And if you might think about that, sometimes you might think, yeah, I'd like to bring justice to a few people. Yeah. Some people at work, I'd like to get them theirs. They, uh, what they have coming, deserve. You know that word deserve? That's a tricky word. What do you deserve? And God says here, he is going to be gracious to you. What do you deserve? I'm not going to ask. All I'm going to know is that God is waiting to be gracious to you, exalting to show mercy to you. And he says not, hey, you should do that. Now you have a new rule to follow. No, no. He said he's going to bring mercy to you and grace to you so then it begins to grow up in you like, like a fountain, like some sort of cool water that comes out and then it can wash out over the world and now your call is to be gracious and merciful to the people around you to show them real justice. The people that are close to you. I'm looking out, I see uh, uh, some people here with their parents. I don't care if you're nine or 92, think about ways that you could be gracious to your parents. 
to be merciful to them. You think, I'm a kid, I can't show mercy to your parents. Yes, you can. You can show them mercy. Now, parents, think about it the same way. Think about your children. You think, I need to be just to them. I need to show them what's real, what's right, what's true. You do. You need to show them real justice, and that means mercy and grace. It means that you are called to show that to your siblings and your neighbors and your spouse, the people that are really close to you. You know, Mr. Rogers had it right. Do you remember that song he used to sing? He said, it's the people that you love the most that can make you the maddest. It's the people who are close to you that make you feel the baddest. And that is right. But it's also a promise that God gives that he says, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you power to do what you can't do, to grow something inside of you. You know, with all those spiritual fruits from Galatians, this stony ground that's inside of you, God said, I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to grow something up. So you don't have a new rule to follow. Galatians says those fruits of the spirit, that's not about law. It's about freedom, to give you the freedom to begin to be gracious to the people around you, merciful to the people around you. It's going to be hard, but he's going to give you the strength to do it. That's a little hard, right? All right, let's make it even harder. Let's make it even harder. I'm not going to make it harder. The scripture is going to make it harder because when you look at the passages from the Old Testament that talk about justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat which really means this comprehensive way of looking at justice. More often than not, when justice comes up in the Bible, it isn't talking about how you treat your friends and how you treat the people you live with and how you treat your siblings and your parents and your children. It's how you treat people who are struggling the most in life, the poor and the widow and the fatherless. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm jumping ahead of Zechariah. Let's let him talk for a second. Look at Zechariah. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Mishpat. Show mercy and compassion to one another. That's true justice. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. And most of you would say what I would say. Have I oppressed the poor? I didn't oppress the poor. I didn't steal from anybody. I didn't make anybody else trip and miss the mark. That isn't me. I didn't oppress them. And Zechariah says, wait, wait. Did you administer true justice? I did. I didn't steal from anybody. No. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the immigrant or the poor. And the suffering servant who Isaiah predicted, he said, he's going to come into this world. And what do you think he thinks about the poor? He was born homeless in a stable. What do you think he thinks about people who are struggling? He was born to a broken family. What do you think he thinks about people who were born of suspect parentage? He didn't by accident fall into that family. He chose it because if he's going to administer true justice, he's got to be right there. And that means for you and I, if we're going to follow our suffering servant into the paths of administering true justice, we've got to follow him. And it's going to be into the paths that we wouldn't normally walk. Not the paths of a warm circle of where we're just safe with our families We've got to open up the doors wider, figuratively and literally, and invite other people in. And do the job of what the suffering servant is doing. Participate with him. Participate in the family business. That's the family business of the suffering servant. And I'll tell you, at Christmas time, more often than not, I'm thinking about how my family is going to stay safe, and my family is going to be secure, and that's a good thing. It's a beautiful vision. But the suffering servant came to bring justice 
much wider than just my family and friends and the people I love. He came to bring it far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. And if you're anything like me, you feel a little bit of curse inside and you see a little bit of curse out there. And so the suffering servant says, get out there. Come on. Go out there and bring justice. Justice so we can hammer him down? No, no. Justice so you can exalt yourself to show mercy. So you cannot wait until you can show compassion. So that's the first thing. The suffering servant is just. Now here's the second thing. The suffering servant is gentle. Now what I just described is um, a king, a king bringing justice. If, 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 if a suffering servant is going to bring about justice in the world, in order to bring that about in little families and in churches and communities, you gotta have the power to do it. And in fact, a lot of times politicians will make promises that are not unlike this passage from Isaiah that we're looking at, where a politician will say, do you want justice? Then elect me. If you want justice, I will come into power and I will make it so the bad people will go away and the good people will be lifted up. Do you want a nice, warm family, secure and safe? Then elect me. That's what everybody was promising at the midterms, Democrat and Republican. They're going to do the same thing when the presidential election comes. They're going to say, put me in power. Because when I'm elected, I'm going to speak for the powerless. I will be their voice, and I will shout it out in the streets. Well, the suffering servant has a different idea. Look at this. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. The suffering servant, his ministry in this world is one that is gentle. It's kind of quiet. This is Alec Motyer. He's a Hebrew scholar, somebody that's been really helpful to me in, in, in kind of moving through these passages. He says, the service of the suffering servant is unostentatious and unself-advertising. His ministry is quiet, unaggressive, and unthreatening. And so often when we go about our business in our lives of even trying to do good, of even trying to speak for and live for and serve Jesus, we want to do it in a way that maybe exalts ourselves. Some churches do that. We want to talk about all the things, the great things that we've done. We want to talk about, kind of say, this is a great place and what we're doing is really good and that's fine. But the suffering servant, he's quiet. He's, he's gentle. He doesn't bring a lot of attention to himself. That's our call too, friends. That to follow in his paths, the paths of the suffering servant, is not to make a great noise about what you're doing. It's to make it so that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. So the suffering servant is very gentle. But look at how gentle he is with each one of us. Look at now, verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He came to bring justice. There's a lot of unrighteousness in this world. The suffering servant came to take care of it. He's going to bring it. How is he going to do it? A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He does it quietly. This is talking about a servant who comes to establish justice, but his concern and care and gentleness for the very weakest and most broken and most damaged people is exhibited right here in this passage, these two images of the servant coming close to things that are damaged. And, the, and the, the images are really easy to understand. You don't need a lot of background information. A bruised reed. Picture a reed. They're right there at the lake that you go to. They're right there at the river. They're coming up everywhere. 
These reeds that you see uh, 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 all over the place, and some of them are trampled down. And they get trampled down because who cares if you trample on some reeds? I, I, I went looking in all sorts of the commentaries and biblical dictionaries that I always look at to try to understand these passages. And I said, what, do, what did people then use reeds for? Well, they didn't use them for anything. Nobody uses reeds or anything. They don't use them for anything now. And you might look right past them, the ones that are getting trampled down and broken. And it says here that this suffering servant who's going to bring justice all over the world kneels down to broken reeds and is gentle and he won't break them. Instead, he's going to try to lift them up in some way. And it says here that these reeds are bruised. And that's a little bit of a deceptive word too here because a lot of times when we say bruise, we mean it's not as bad as it could be. Is it a break? Nah, it's fine, it's a bruise. But the Hebrew word bruised means crushed. It means sometimes a mortal blow. There's a place in the book of Job where the same word is used of the crushing blow against Leviathan, the sea monster, the blow against his head, which will kill him. So to be bruised is something that means that you have been broken down by life, that you've been damaged, that you are a broken reed. And it says here, when the suffering servant comes to you and you're broken, he won't break you. He will lift you up. He'll be gentle. And you see it again in this, this image, a faintly burning wick. You know when you have a, a fireplace or you have a, a, a pit in the backyard or maybe you're a camping and you can't get the fire going and there's just a little bit of a flame, just a little bit. And you just, you've been putting on the things, you put on more fire starter logs, you pour the whole thing of gas, it just won't happen. And so sometimes you're just like, I'm gonna pour that all. And instead, the suffering servant gets close and low and blows and tries to bring it to flame. And you might, I do, I relate to this. I say, there's a light inside of me, but it's, it's mixed, it smokes a lot. And, and there's some motives that I have that are good, and there's motives that I have that are really not so good. And there are things that I do that I'm sort of proud of, and there are other things that I do that I'm not very proud of, and I feel like this light is so mixed up inside of me. Use your imagination now. Use your imagination not to think of things that aren't true, but things that are true. The way that your own life is compromised in ways that you wish that it wasn't. And you think, if the suffering servant comes to me, I'm not sure. No, no, no. If you feel like a faintly burning wick, know that he's going to kneel down and when he administers justice, he's going to do it gently. That he's gonna bear with you all the way. There was a pastor a long time ago. His name was Richard Sibbs. He lived in the 1600s in England. He was a great pastor and he wrote a book. The entire book is about just this one verse. And it's a book that's called The Bruised Reed and the Smoking Flax. That was the old translation for a, for a faintly burning wick. And he wrote the whole book because he looked out at his congregation and he said, there's a lot of people in my congregation that are afraid to come close to Jesus because they feel like they just aren't good enough and that they're too weak and they're too fragile. They're afraid that somehow Jesus wants to stamp them down, that God will reject them. In the introduction to the book, he writes, I know that people are prone to sin but I know that they're even more prone to despair over sin. So he wrote this book in order to encourage people to know that the true nature of the suffering servant isn't to bring justice, it's to bring justice. And so now, Richard Sibbs is such a good pastor and he's such a good sermon writer. I'm gonna read some of his sermon for a second. Can I do that? Can I? Okay, fine, all right, good, good, right now. I'm gonna do it right now. Jesus never turned anyone back that came to him. 
though some went away of themselves. He came to die as a priest for his enemies. He shed tears for those that shed his blood. And now he makes intercession and praise in heaven for weak Christians. He is a meek king. He is a king especially of poor and afflicted persons. He is a physician that is good at every disease, especially at the binding up of a broken heart. He died that he might heal our souls with the medicine of his own blood, and by his death he would save us. I said before that sometimes people say, I don't like the Old Testament. Too harsh. Picture of a big bearded father in the sky throwing lightning bolts. Do you believe in a God like that? I hope you don't. I hope you believe in a biblical God. I hope you believe in the God that Isaiah talks about. Look at this. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. Zion is another word for God's people. God's people said, the Lord has forsaken me. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever said it? If you have, you're in good company because it's in Isaiah. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. But the Lord says, this is the Lord speaking now. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should have no compassion on the son of her womb. This is God talking. Even those may forget. Mothers might forget their children. But I will never forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And sometimes in antiquity, slaves were engraved with the names of their masters. This is my property. I'm going to draw blood to show that you belong to me. But here now the master is saying to his people, I'll write your name on my hands. I'm going to engrave your name so I know that I belong to you. You can always say, he's my God. He's gentle and he's just. And now I belong to him and he belongs to me. Do you see how gentle he is, friends? Do you see how good he is and just he is that the suffering servant came to give you that kind of good news so that when you feel like you are a broken reed, a bruised reed, when you feel like you are a dimly burning wick, a mixture of light and dark, that he's the one that's gonna minister to you. So that's the second point. The suffering servant is gentle. First he's just, then he's gentle. And here's the last one. And it's the most difficult to see, but we can see it here if we look closely. The suffering servant is bruised. Now, we already said that in this picture that, the suffer, that Isaiah gives, that the people are the bruised reeds. That the people like you and I who walk through life and, and, and we become broken and, and we suffer in so many ways. But what it says about Jesus, what it says about the suffering servant is not that he's bruised, It says that he's discouraged. We can start with what it says about us. There in verse three, it says, a bruised reed he will not break. That's us. You and I, the bruised reeds. We should form a collective. We should get t-shirts. The bruised reed club. That's us. All right. But the suffering servant, he doesn't have it so tough. He won't grow faint or be discouraged. (laughs) That's such a tame word. He's going to do anything it takes to bring justice and mercy and compassion to you. He'll even get discouraged. But I noticed something this week. I read this. I never noticed this. I studied this passage a whole bunch in my life, I guess. But that that word discouraged is actually the very same word. It's translated discouraged there, but it's the very same word as bruised. It's the very same word. Those are the same word. So another way that you could literally translate this passage is, a bruised reed he will not break. 
And he will not grow faint or bruised until he has established justice in the earth. It means that he is going to be willing to be bruised to bring this kind of justice and care and compassion to you. Because if you're going to bring justice to people, it's going to cost you. You all know that. If you're going to be merciful to somebody or gracious, it costs, it hurts. And sometimes it might even break you. And the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ has been one that he is so good and so gracious. And he is willing to take on every burden that would prevent him from giving grace to everybody. So he takes it all on to himself. And the very last song about this servant that Isaiah writes, it's in Isaiah 53. And there we see even more fully the ways that our Lord Jesus Christ becomes a suffering servant. We see even more fully the way he became bruised so that he could bring us that grace and bring us along in the mission of the family business to bring about his justice and mercy. It says in Isaiah 53, it's not going to come up here. I'm going to tell it to you. Listen to me. Surely he took our pain and he bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Did you hear that? The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He who was like a shoot out of dry ground became broken down so that you and I could flourish. And I look out at this congregation right now, and I see people that are broken reeds, but I also see people who have the capacity by God's grace to flourish, to walk in the paths of your suffering servant. People who, just like the people in that Christmas story, have life that does not look ideal, but is a life that God will use and come close to, and he won't whip you into shape, and he won't slap you around because you didn't do things right, And he won't break you down because you're already bruised. He's a gentle, suffering servant. And he came to make it so that you would be fruitful. So that you would bear in your body the fruits of the Spirit. He bore in his body your sins so that you could bear in your body the fruits of the Spirit for the people that are close to you, for the people that are far away from you. And that's what God's doing right now. A gentle, quiet, suffering servant who will bear everything for us. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's pray, friends. Let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that you sent us your Son who is the suffering servant. Even now, he still today is that suffering servant, the one who came to bring justice to flow down like mighty rivers. So bring those rivers of justice, bring it through this church, bring it through our lives. We also give you thanks that you're a gentle Savior, Jesus. We couldn't bear it if you came in all your glory and all your strength. We couldn't bear it if you brought full justice to administer to us unless it's your justice, a justice which is gentle and a justice that you take our bruises on. So we give you thanks. I pray for every single person here that each one of us would receive your gentle call and your love in the way that we need to hear it. Some of us have heard it a lot of times and we've received it. Some of us have heard it a lot of times and we've always pushed it away. Some of us have heard it and and we used to follow, but now we're not so sure. For each one of us here, Father, would you please guide us in the path of that suffering servant who has our name engraved on his hands, who has our names engraved on his heart, and that his undying love is ours. It's a promise that's made to us. We are so glad. So be with us as we walk through this Christmas season. Pray these things in Christ's name and all of God's people said, amen.